Good morning, everyone, and welcome again to the Saturday Morning Show here on WGN Radio Chicago. Snowy morning in the Midwest, but I'm lucky enough to be talking to you from WGN West in Scottsdale, Arizona. Temperature about 47 degrees, so it's not really hot in the desert either, but no snow falling below an elevation of about 4,500 feet out here. And so that means in the northern part of the state and uh, snow falling in ski areas here in Arizona. But it has been a busy week. My golly, we got two ongoing trade situations at least moving forward with the signing of phase one of the China-U.S. trade agreement. That happened in the White House, a packed room. A lot of farm people, leaders were on hand for that, along with manufacturing, financial, and technology leaders packed into that room at the White House for the signing with the Vice Premier of China and the President of the United States. And then a couple of days later, after working on it for a year or more, the approval of the Canada-U.S.-Mexico trade agreement. I call it uh, NAFTA number two because it replaces the North American free trade agreement that was signed into action back in the 1990s by President then Bill Clinton. So uh, all of a sudden, something that's been going on for a year and a half to two years made progress and moved forward. And now they say that uh, we'll start right away on phase two of the China-U.S. trade agreement. It impacted the markets, but I think not as much as some people hoped it would and thought it should. But again, we're still in the early stages of working through the details, so... That's going to keep us busy until the planters get rolling across the Midwest in, what, a month, month and a half, two months? We'll see. But good to have you with us here on this Saturday morning. We uh, have some interesting reports and uh, visits uh, with Max Armstrong and... uh, Two guests that we enjoy having on the program throughout the year. We'll hear from Brian Basting of uh, Advanced Trading, headquartered in Bloomington, to talk markets. And uh, Mike Pearson. Uh, We always enjoy talking to Mike. He's now with uh, Zayner Hedge in Chicago. Always brings some interesting thoughts when he discusses markets And he'll do that with us today, right after we take a time out and continue with the Saturday morning show. You farmers for sure are well into the planning for what you'll be doing in your fields this year. But now here's one more thing you need to get on your program this winter. The Farm Futures Summit. The Farm Futures Business Summit coming up later this month at Coralville, Iowa near Iowa City. When you attend the Farm Futures Business Summit, you get actionable ideas and inspiration from the ag industry's best high-profile marketing and management authorities. 
Speakers like Dr. David Cole, Dr. Barry Flinchball, Matt Bennett, Tim Schaefer, Bruce Knight, and so many more. You'll hear from successful and innovative producers, too. Farmers and ranchers from all over the country attend this annual conference to sharpen their business skills and gain fresh ideas and insights. The Farm Futures Business Summit is January 23rd and 24th at Coralville, near Iowa City, Iowa. Go to the website, farmfuturesummit.com, to register and get the last chance discount. Save $100. Don't miss it. Farmfuturesummit.com. I wanted to spend a little time visiting with our friend Mike Pearson, Zaner Ag Hedge. They are based in Chicago, and uh, you're logging some miles this time of the year at farm meetings, aren't you? Absolutely. It is meeting season, max education season for farmers out there in the countryside. And yeah, I get the chance to travel quite a bit. Over the past couple weeks, I was down in Champaign uh, talking to a number of growers from central and southern Illinois. And then just this past week, I was out in Kansas, flew into Manhattan, spent a little time at K-State was uh, lodging right outside of Aggieville, not a bad place to spend some time, and then went to Beloit, uh, excuse me, Beloit, almost said Wisconsin, Beloit, Kansas, to talk to the Central Valley Ag Co-op and uh, just kind of hear what growers were thinking in that north-central part of Kansas. And by and large, of the groups I've spoken to, they were perhaps the least affected. Not that they weren't affected, but least affected by the terrible weather. In 2019, they were fairly upbeat as a group there in Kansas. On our television show this weekend, we're sharing a couple of interesting graphs that you have. And they deal with the slaughter of livestock in this country, how strong it is. It has been phenomenal, Max. A lot of times, and I mentioned that on the program this week, we we get beaten down in agriculture with bad news. We've had uncertain trade agreements this past year. We've had uh, horrible weather across everywhere. Um, But there are still some real bright spots in agriculture. And as we look ahead, we've got the signing of the U.S.-China trade agreement. Could be a bright spot going forward. But one of the things that has really leapt out at me is the slaughter pace and the herd growth of U.S. livestock. I mean, we have definitely seen USDA take into account the increase in feed demand, both for cattle and for hogs, and to a lesser extent, poultry. And that just goes to show that as people get richer, and we're in the, what, 11th year of this bull market, 12th year, people are feeling richer, and they're spending money on protein. Beef uh, has been the big benefactor. We need to remember, of course, that the stock market, the Dow, as reflecting the stock market, climbed 20% last year. Like The gains in the overall market, the low rate of unemployment, low interest rates, it all is being reflected then uh, in the domestic meat demand. It is. And, you know, one of the big drivers, and I don't think we talk about this enough in agriculture because we don't think about it all that often, but a lot of urban consumers base their perception of wealth on home values. And home values also, since 2008, have continued to scream higher. And that also makes people feel a little bit more wealthy. And when they go to the grocery store, they're willing to spend up for some protein. Now, exports remain fairly strong for both beef and pork, do they not? They do. Um, they're, They're stronger on the pork side, and we're expecting to see that strength continue. You know, one of the challenges we've had, uh, the ag industry got really excited last year when Africa, and I hate to say excited about African swine fever, but the decimation of the herd in China, a lot of folks thought that meant the Chinese were going to have to come to the U.S. to buy pork. What we noticed about halfway through 2019 is that China wasn't coming to the U.S., and obviously the trade war was perhaps a factor. The other issue was that we were feeding ractopamine to about 80% of American hogs, and ractopamine, a growth promotant, is banned in China. 
Um, as we go through, 20, so it limited the opportunity. Absolutely, to we could only ship twenty percent of our pork legally to China. Uh, best case scenario. But what we've seen over the past two months is that a lot of the largest integrators, uh, Tyson, uh, yeah, Smithfield's been Ractofree for a while, but the big folks that own a lot of hogs are taking Ractopamine out of the ration. So we're going to see a huge hog herd uh, in this country continues to grow. We're going to see those hogs on feed longer in this country with Racto out of the ration. And we are going to have a lot more pork that is legal to ship into China while they're trying to meet a $40 billion purchase commitment from America. Pork looks like it could be a huge benefactor. So after looking at that announcement earlier this week of phase one, your feeling is, well, they're going to have plenty of soybeans that they can get out of the southern hemisphere, but their need for pork and our ability to serve that need should be able to come together here. I think it will. Over the past year, uh, China has been buying protein aggressively from Brazil and Argentina. Um, In fact, their purchases of beef from Brazil caused Brazilian beef prices to skyrocket, and Brazilian inflation was just announced last week by the Brazilian government was over 5%, mainly due to beef price inflation. So prices are rising in Brazil, were competitive, and yes, China's going to have to start switching purchases back to North America. Should be a good thing long-term. The soybean demand could have been hurt long-term by African swine fever, but the Chinese do not want to have food insecurity in their country, particularly with the riots going on in Hong Kong. I think they're going to do what they need to do to bring that food inflation back down in China. While we're talking about China, I found it sobering the other day when they said we're backing off of these long-term goals to build our ethanol industry. I mean, I know some China watchers who were saying, wow, they're on target to be building more plants. They're going to be needing more ethanol imported. It should help our domestic industry in the United States. Uh, is all of that coming to a screeching halt? Oh, that was a surprise announcement for a lot of the folks in the trade. We were widely anticipating as part of this trade agreement that we would be shipping more ethanol into China. You know, air pollution is a huge concern in their cities, and the quickest way to address it would be to go to an E10 or E15 blend. You'd be pumping out cleaner emissions. You'd clean up some smog. But it sounds as though the Chinese government is taking a look around. They probably could never supply an E10 ethanol mandate domestically. They just don't grow enough corn. They don't have enough uh, infrastructure to support ethanol construction. One thing China does have is the raw materials and the rare earth metals to make batteries. So it sounds as though they are laying all of their cards on the table in this push to go electric. And that is something that's going to take some some good looking at by the American ethanol industry. Uh, it's It's troubling. Since you used the phrase, they lay their cards on the table, the Chinese are notorious, notorious for doing things to drive down prices. Then they come in and they say, ah, we got a great buying opportunity here from the prices we've driven down. Is there any possibility that they're doing this with corn? There could be. You know, never second-guess the Chinese when it comes to trade, right? They invented trade 10,000 years ago. Um, So, yeah, they could absolutely be playing a long game. But as you look at ethanol, I don't know how much... There are a lot of things to worry about. Absolutely. I don't know how much lower they can drive the price down. You know, I mean, that's it's a great buying opportunity if they wanted a quick short-term gain to clean their air, and it sounds as though they're, they're passing it by. Do you think... The Trump administration and its Environmental Protection Agency will ever step up and do what the corn growers have wanted, and that was what was promised them in the renewable fuels standard. 
I tell you what, Max, I have been very disappointed in uh, the Trump administration's EPA. Uh, initially, we thought it was just uh, uh, Pruitt and his ties to the oil industry. Andrew Wheeler came in. We thought this was going to be a turnaround. We thought it'd be a new face. He seemed very open to listening to the uh, corn grower and ethanol producers' concerns. He sounded very earnest when he was making these promises. But we have not had the follow through that we need to have from the the corn growers perspective to mitigate our fears. You know, I think we're going to have to wait and see what the RVO ends up looking like for this year, the the renewable uh, volume obligations. And will the EPA stick to a 15 billion gallon requirement for corn-based ethanol or allegedly, or not allegedly, but supposedly, already 19 um, uh, crude blenders have asked for exemptions under the SREs, the small refinery exemptions. We go back to prior to the Trump administration, the record in a single year was eight granted. Last year, there was 31 or 32. So the oil industry is still banking on getting out of its obligations. And we really, from the ag's perspective, we need to make sure Andrew Wheeler knows If he's going to draw a line in the sand, he's got to stand by it. Mike Pearson, good to see you. How do folks find you? Oh, thank you, Max. You can find me on Twitter. Go to at PearsonCattle.com. You can uh, visit our website at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com. You can get connected to my phone number right there. You can reach me at 312-277-0112 there at the office. Or, you know, get Twitter. Always find me on Twitter. Reach out and touch him. Mike Pearson, thank you. Good to see you. Thank you, Max. Well, it's a uh, rainy, snowy morning across much of the Midwest. So if you're driving this morning, be careful. You never know when you'll hit slush that'll pull you off the road. You'll never know when you'll hit ice that'll take you off the road quickly. So be careful heading wherever you're heading this morning. This week, a lot of farmers from across the country and from right here in the Midwest headed to Austin, Texas, because the annual convention of the American Farm Bureau Federation underway, and it'll continue into next week. But the nation's largest farm organization, Farm Bureau, will be setting policy for what they'd like to see happen on Capitol Hill and in the world on trade issues and also on the uh, pricing issues and the consumption issues for agricultural products. And uh, they'll then take that to their senators and congressmen and uh, see if they can get action on what they think is important to what I've said so many times is the most important industry on the planet. That's producing food, and our farmers do it better than anybody else. So Farm Bureau Convention, Austin, Texas. It continues into next week, and of course tomorrow... For the third year in a row, President Trump will address convention goers in Austin, and I'm sure that uh, they'll be discussing or wanting to discuss some of the issues that uh, Mike and Max just talked about, particularly in ethanol and in biodiesel and in other agriculturally produced energy products. The uh, EPA has not been doing a good job, as you heard, of uh, following some of the rules that really were determined uh, quite a while ago by Congress. And Ed Wheeler, who is head of the EPA, will be in Austin for the Farm Bureau Convention, and I'm sure he'll get an earful 
And I would guess President Trump will get an earful too on uh, some other issues that have certainly been concerning to farmers for the past couple of years. But uh, as I'll discuss on Samuelson Says, suddenly uh, trade issues that had been going for 18 to 24 months and even longer became uh, less important from the standpoint of negotiating. The uh, Canada-U.S.-Mexico trade agreement finally getting into place, and of course uh, phase two of the China-U.S. trade agreement is being worked on now by trade officials in China and the United States. So let's hope that uh, they get that straightened out and uh, Farm Bureau and other farm organizations are the organizations to uh, put it all together. And so let's hope that the progress that we have seen continues to be made. And uh, from the standpoint of uh, farmers, the uh, third and final tranche of the uh, food aid payments because of the challenge that agricultural producers uh, received, that third and final tranche is due before the end of the month. Whether or not it makes it, we're not sure. But Washington now has paid two out of three parts of that $16 billion aid package that was announced back in May to compensate farmers for losses sustained during the 18-month trade war. And the third had been expected this month. And uh, whether or not it takes place, uh, it should. The Trump administration had already spent $12 billion in trade aid for farmers in 2018. And Secretary Perdue, after the signing of Phase 1 of the U.S.-China trade agreement, said that farmers should not expect a new bailout package this year between the $28 billion already approved. But the check is in the mail, hopefully by the end of January. And talking to uh, agricultural economists, uh, no question that that uh, farm aid payment because of the trade war did help a lot of farmers stay in business uh, through these challenging and difficult trade times. So keep an eye out for that. And one other reminder on January, I've mentioned this a couple of times in the past week or so, but let me do it one more time. Department of Agriculture's Risk Management Agency is reminding producers for that their crop insurance premiums for the 2019 crop year are due on January 31st. Under this change, policies that do not have the premium paid by that date will have um, interest attached on February 1st, and USDA had deferred to January 31st the accrual of interest on 2019 crop insurance premiums for most policies with a premium billing date of August 15th of 2019 to help the large number of farmers and ranchers affected by extreme weather in 2019. 
and 19. The uh, extended interest deferral built on other steps taken by USDA to support farmers and ranchers impacted by flooding and other disasters. As of January 13th, the uh, agency had paid roughly $8.1 billion in overall claims for the 2019 crop year. But producers like you are encouraged to contact your crop insurance agent for more information or assistance on meeting that deadline on premium payment for the 2019 crop insurance year. So pay attention to that one and get that taken care of so you don't get charged extra interest on your insurance premium payments. Well, we're at the halfway mark here on the Saturday morning show. There's a lot more to talk about. It was quite a day yesterday in agricultural trade, particularly the grain market. Corn ended yesterday with an increase of 3.7% in prices as we watched some of the activity in the marketplace uh, work to the benefit of farmers. So uh, Brian Basting of Advanced Trading in Bloomington, Illinois, will be joining Max to talk about that. And we'll share with you our thoughts on Samuelson Says. So stay with us here on the Saturday Morning Show. And we continue with the Saturday Morning Show here on WGN Radio Chicago. As always, a pleasure to have you with us. If you're driving anywhere, drive carefully with the kind of weather that we're getting now in the Midwest and then get ready to bundle up for the cold wave temperatures that'll be moving in. But good to have you with us here on this Saturday morning, and it's time for Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and this week, talking about there's more to food production than just farming. If the rest of 2020 is anything like the first month, farmers and ranchers are in for a busy and eventful year. Food producers are still talking about the weather year that just ended that will cause a resurvey of crop production in several states because of the delayed harvest. But the big news has centered on the trade situation that we have lived with for 18 months and longer. In one week... This month, the President and Chinese Vice Premier signed Phase 1 of the China-U.S. Trade Agreement, and Congress finally approved what I call the new NAFTA, the U.S.-Canada-Mexico Trade Agreement. So now we wait to see if all parties involved will honor the agreements, and if honored, at least American farmers will know what trade rules they are dealing with going into the new crop year. Since this is an election year, there is always the question of who will lead this country. Regardless of who wins, will the new Congress decide to impeach whoever is elected and make the votes of Democrats, Republicans, and Independents meaningless? I still say do your impeaching on election day with your vote. It's another reason why I would like to see term limits for all forms of government Being a member of Congress should not be a lifetime career. But getting back to farmers and ranchers and the new decade, 
There is still a lot to be done in addition to the everyday job of producing food, fiber, fuel, and energy. We are still waiting for a simplified labor law to allow foreign workers to more easily come into the country to do the jobs that American workers no longer want to do. We need food labeling laws that properly identify what is in the food and beverage we consume. And we need enforcement of those laws. We need more border control, agricultural inspectors to keep African swine fever, avian bird flu, foot and mouth disease, and other deadly diseases and pests out of this country. Yes, there's more than producing food on tap for America's farmers and ranchers. And I hope you get it all done with better weather. My thoughts on Samuelson Says, a presentation of Nexstar Media Group. And that brings us up to uh, 22 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. And just a little bit more on the North America trade deal. The Senate, of course, approved a revamp of the 26-year-old North American Free Trade Agreement that includes tougher rules on labor and automotive content, but leaves $1.2 trillion in annual U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade flows largely unchanged. The legislation to implement the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement passed on a bipartisan vote. Republicans and Democrats did agree on something because the vote to approve the uh, USMCA passed 89 to 10, now goes to the president's desk to sign into law. The uh, House of Representatives in this country uh, passed the legislation on December 19th after hammering out changes to ensure better enforcement of labor rights and tighter environmental rules during months of often contentious negotiations with the Trump administration. And uh, as a result of all that activity and trade issues this uh, week, the S&P 500 stock index hit the 3,300 mark for the first time on Thursday. And uh, according to uh, a statement by the leadership of the negotiating team, this historic agreement not only modernizes and rebalances our trade relationship with Canada and Mexico, but it does promote economic growth that creates jobs and provides crucial certainty for farmers, workers, and manufacturers So stated Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, who was involved in all of the trade discussions, well, for the past two years. But uh, the uh, Mexican president, Obrador, Thursday called the approval of the deal good news for the Mexican economy. But Canada still needs to approve the deal before it can take effect and replace NAFTA that was signed by the leaders of the U.S., Mexico, and Canada way back in September of 2018. But it'll be interesting to watch the details of the agreement uh, start working 
and what kind of an impact it will have on agriculture and manufacturing. 24 minutes, uh, no, let's make it 20 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. And uh, we'll check in with Max and Brian Basting of Advanced Trading in Bloomington, Illinois, when we continue on the Saturday morning show. It has been a while since we last visited with Brian Basting, Advanced Trading, Bloomington, Illinois. First, I want to ask you about the quality of that 2019 corn crop. And we get reminders almost every day, it seems like, because of some kind of grain bin incident, grain bin entrapment. We put away a very wet crop in many instances, and I think many people are wondering about the consumption of this crop, if the USDA numbers are going to, you know, very accurately reflect at the end of the day just how much of this corn has to be fed. Give us your thoughts on that, Brian. Uh, first, Max, uh, it's good to be back with you, as always. And and I think that the, the 2019 crop will be remembered for many things. And, and one of them you just touched on is the quality. It's more of a regional issue this year. Some areas are, are pretty good quality, but other areas you hit the nail square on the head that they have uh, high moisture corn. It's really some serious concerns about long-term storage. So some of that corn may end up moving uh, into market a little earlier than, than was expected or would be normally seen just because of quality concerns. But there's a lot of uncertainty, Max. So you have to go up to the Northern Plains. So many acres still standing in the field, for example, in North Dakota. I know that USDA is going to resurvey uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, um, uh, Wisconsin, and Michigan here for um, uh, one last time for corn to see what these acres are and what the yield is and so forth. We may not know the size of the corn crop max till this time next year. I was going to say that. Now, the timing of their resurvey uh, may not uh, allow them to fully account for what is out there, correct? Yeah. When, when are they going to do that? Beginning of March, is that right? It's a bit vague in, in, in the annual crop summary, but as I understand, it will be in the spring. So you could assume that would be March or April. It may be until March or April until some of those North Dakota folks are able to, to make some headway, unfortunately. But... I certainly hope that those folks get a chance earlier. But back to your question, this year reminds me just a little bit. Uh, each year is different. Reminds me a little bit of 09. That's what and others every, have said. Everything yes. was so late, and we, we we got some surprises later in the year with some crane stocks reports and this and that. But it's a real, real puzzle at this point. Well, in those areas, as you referenced, uh, those areas where it is a problem uh, with a high moisture corn, you know, some, some farmers have been uh, in their private messages to me very vocal in complaining about it, calling it a crap crop. I think one guy did this week, and maybe, maybe he didn't dress it up that much in his comment. But uh, uh, the concern is about the, that high moisture content, isn't it? It is. Uh, anytime you get a living organism that kernel of corn is, and you have it uh, not dried down uh, to a level or, or at least being stored at a high level, it's, it can go bad, and uh, to, to be uh, blunt about it, and uh, it's not a, a, a easily storable crop, for lack of a better phrase. What do you think about the possibility that with this dry down, that will mean that actually more of the bushels will have to be fed to uh, to meet the demand by the livestock industry that that maybe USDA is not fully accounting for the feeding of the corn that'll be necessary because of that. Actually, the analog year that I mentioned, Max, we that was kind of the the quasi conclusion back in '09 was that uh, due to the lower test weight, poor quality of the crop, we ended up with a lower than expected uh, stocks number at some point during that crop year and. 
back into a higher than expected feed number. So that's certainly a possibility. The January numbers, if somebody was looking for it to be bullish, they were disappointed again, weren't they? I mean, we, yeah. we have a precedent for this now over several months, it seems. Yeah, I think that what the January numbers people were hoping for is it would offset an historically weak export market, Max. And I think that they're really, with the yield being bumped up a tad there in corn and crop size actually growing. Now, the stocks number was lowered. Part of that was a function of they lowered last year's crop. A bit by about 80 million bushels, but um, regardless, it, it, you know, now that those reports are out of the way, we have to focus on demand. And uh, to the degree that the export market is one of the weakest we've seen, it is the weakest we've seen since 2012. It's weighing on the market. Now, are there any bright spots as far as exports are concerned? Today, I would say that the the, the bright spot may be um, with the Chinese signing the fa- fa- uh, phase one agreement perhaps on the product side like DDGs or ethanol. Um, but as far as bulk corn, I don't see a lot of bright spots today. The uh, rains that we've seen in South America, at least in Argentina, have been timely for their first crop corn. Now, the second crop corn in Brazil won't be planted until February, March, Safinha corn, so that's a big wild card yet. But Ukraine is shipping in a, a tremendous a record amount of corn right now, so Black Sea is a big competitor. One of the lessons we've learned over the past couple of years, not just last year, but the past couple of seasons, is when there is an opportunity for the grower to market with price spikes, they are very brief, it seems, and there aren't too many of them. Uh, reflect on that a little bit. Yeah, you hit the nail square in the head again, Max. I think that the, the lessons learned from 19 are that um, when we saw that spike rally, as you highlighted there in, in June, for example, the corn market went up to about 475 on the board anyway. Um, the natural tendency, well, it's got to go to five. Uh, there's a little bit of, of um, if you will, backyarditis when you look out your backyard and you see that your fields are flooded and that's your heart sinks. But but this year, that was more of a regional thing. There were some areas, particularly in the western Corn Belt places like Iowa, uh, eastern Nebraska, parts of Minnesota, where they did get planted in a timely fashion. And, and, and then you look at the demand side. But the lesson there on the pricing side is you've got to be a participant in the market rather than an observer. And one of the things that, that you can consider there is when you're a participant and you can actually be involved, um, you, you take some of the emotion away from the market. You and I have been watching the marketing of crops for a long time, and we've talked about the need to sharpen marketing skills. It's still a need, isn't it? I mean, uh, when you bring in the emotion that uh, comes into play here sometimes, uh, it, it really still needs to be addressed because it's so crucial to the bottom line. We have the best producers in the world, Max, the greatest technology, the best producers, some of the best land in the world. There's no doubt in my mind. In my 30 well, it's 35 years now. Nothing has changed marketing-wise. It's still a challenge. It's the human emotions. It's managing that. And if you don't have a marketing plan, you can be in a lot of trouble real quick. I know a lot of uh, farmer friends who got into the business of farming because they like to produce a crop. They like to grow a crop. They like to, to see that crop in the field. Uh, they are very proud of their skills of producing that robust crop and harvesting it. Several of those folks that I've talked to one-on-one through the years acknowledge that they didn't get into farming because of the business skills required. But boy, more and more, that's absolutely crucial, isn't it? And I get the feeling that this younger generation of producers coming on strong now are well-armed with those skills and are knowledgeable of the need. And that's why I think um, uh, partnering, if you will, a younger generation producer with a veteran producer can be very beneficial. 
um, maybe a mentor type of program where the the, the older producer has, has all the the knowledge and experience of a produ- of producing, and the younger person, as you mentioned, maybe has a little more uh, expertise or a little more feel for the the 2020 management side or financial side, maybe some partnering might be a really good avenue there. You know, it really is. And I do it with my own personal medical care. My 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 general practitioner is a young guy. He hasn't been out of medical school very long. I see a cardiologist, as it turns out, on a regular basis, partly because I like the guy a lot. And he's probably 80 plus years of age and extremely knowledgeable, great common sense, has that history of of seeing these movies many times before. And when you combine that, and especially in a family operation, if the older operator lets that younger producer do some things and bring along some progressive ideas, it is a great combination, it seems. I really It's easier said than done. I realize that. Of course. uh, But I truly believe that both sides bring something to the table as such. uh, With the experience, as you said, there's, there's no substitute for experience. But... Uh, there's also uh, something very good to be said about the youth in terms of new ideas, new approaches, efficiencies to be gained, uh, managing spreadsheet, all the things that the, that the older producer is just not as familiar or comfortable with. Prospective planning's numbers will be coming out in a few weeks. Uh, what are you guys thinking at your shop right at the moment about what the acreage will reflect on corn and beans, Brian? Today in mid-January, Max, it feels like we're going to plant a lot more corn in 2020, uh, weather permitting, of course. And I think we'll plant more beans than last year just because of all the prevented planting. But um, market uh, factors will still dictate that, though, I think, Max, as we get into spring. Uh, by that, I mean looking at things like the bean-corn ratio. And today, that's not really uh, pushing beans yet. Uh, but start, starting to look at some 2021 balance sheets, and you start to look at a very burdensome corn carryout potential and a very much tighter bean, maybe the market might, at some point, send stronger signal this spring to a producer on beans, but not yet. Are producers increasingly leaving themselves a little more flexibility in their planting ideas? Obviously, they formulate ideas even before the, uh, the harvest, uh, you know, and then they, they fine-tune that, but... Do you sense that they're leaving a little more, a little higher percentage that they can move one way or another? Yeah, one of the biggest changes in my career, Max, is exactly what you just described, that in 2020, a producer walks into spring and still has a chance to um, adjust his planting composition, if you will. And uh, that was not the case, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, not to the degree it is today. Always great to see you, sir, and we thank you for coming back. We look forward to your next visit. Always good to visit with you, Max. Brian Bastig, Advanced Trading. Chicago's very own WGN. That old car is worth money. Visit VictoryAutoRecords.com for an instant quote. Victory will tow no matter what condition your car's in. Victory buys vehicles every day, including nights and weekends, and you'll get cash on the spot. Go to VictoryAutoRecords.com for more information or save money by fixing up your car with used parts. Go to VictoryAutoRecords.com to search their inventory. VictoryAutoRecords.com VictoryAutoRecords.com You farmers for sure are well into the planning for what you'll be doing in your fields this year. But now here's one more thing you need to get on your program this winter. The Farm Futures Summit. The Farm Futures Business Summit coming up later this month at Coralville, Iowa near Iowa City. When you attend the Farm Futures Business Summit, you get actionable ideas and inspiration from the ag industry's best high-profile marketing and management authorities. 
Speakers like Dr. David Cole, Dr. Barry Flinchball, Matt Bennett, Tim Schaefer, Bruce Knight, and so many more. You'll hear from successful and innovative producers, too. Farmers and ranchers from all over the country attend this annual conference to sharpen their business skills and gain fresh ideas and insights. The Farm Futures Business Summit is January 23rd and 24th at Coralville, near Iowa City, Iowa. Go to the website, farmfuturesummit.com, to register and get the last chance discount. Save $100. Don't miss it. Farmfuturesummit.com. It's five minutes before six o'clock news time here on WGN Radio. Again, good morning to you, and please drive carefully in this mixture of winter weather that we're getting today across the Midwest. I mentioned earlier that yesterday's corn trade surprised a lot of people at the Board of Trade. Corn futures up 3.7%, and that means that corn prices more than recovered from Thursday's 3% drop. Board of Trade corn up 13 and three quarters cents in the uh, March contract. Wheat also showed good gains, up five and three quarters, ending at 571. And the March soybean contract raised five and a quarter cents a bushel yesterday at the uh, grain market at the Chicago Board of Trade. Uh, Quite a day bargain hunters coming in after the big sell-off on Thursday, and that helped the corn market again yesterday. One more reminder that uh, the markets will be closed on Monday. Wall Street, Board of Trade, Mercantile Exchange, all closed to observe the Martin Luther King Jr. federal holiday. So offices in Washington will be shut down. Any reports that were due to be released by various government agencies on uh, Monday will now move into Tuesday before they're being released. And as far as livestock is concerned, we didn't see much reaction to the signing of the China-U.S. agreement. But yesterday, uh, we saw the April lean hog contract gain 25 cents a hundredweight to close at a dime over $74. February live cattle up 12 cents, ending at $126.35 a hundredweight. And the uh, January theater cattle contract up 15 cents at $145.35. But again, markets will be closed on Monday. And before I leave you, I'm always intrigued by things that farmers can do to entertain themselves. We talk about Sublet Illinois generally in March when they hold the big farm toy show in Sublet. But I received an email from Don Dingus at uh, Sublet this week that talked about an event that I haven't heard about. And it's been going for five years. Around Sublet, machine sheds are not only used to store farm machinery, but on February 16th, several machine sheds will become part of the Machine Shed Masters Golf Tournament. Nine farmers will open up part of their machine sheds and set up a golf hole. At 12.30, golfers will register and then proceed from farm to farm to play their round of golf. At the end of the tour, they'll come back to Sublet for a 5 p.m. dinner 
and the cost of the tournament is $100 for a four-person team. Funds go to the local FFA alumni for FFA activities. So you might want to mark that down. Sublet Illinois for the Machine Shed Masters Golf Tournament, and that comes up in February. Sounds like a lot of fun, but when you're waiting to get crops planted, you have to find something to do to entertain yourself. So, as always, we appreciate your company here on the hour that we spend together on Saturday morning. And I particularly appreciate the work of engineer Bob Ferguson, who puts it all together, and it happens every week. So, we hope you'll be with us again next week as we talk the business of agriculture here on WGN Radio's Saturday Morning Show.